Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bengal Tiger Podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is Shay Dixon. Shay, it was media day yesterday in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, LSU, same as last year, kickstarted the event. Brian Kelly, Jaden Daniels, Josh Williams, Makai Wingo. Um, big day, busy day for a lot of people uh, watching all the press conferences, getting uh, us writing out all the you know transcripts and all our takeaways and whatnot. But I want to start with Brian Kelly because Brian Kelly was obviously the main focal point when talking about LSU. Jaden Daniels, we'll get to in a bit. And his press conference went pretty long. He didn't have an opening statement, unlike a lot of coaches. And I think there were some really interesting uh, sub points that we can talk about here. Obviously, the main one being um, going from year one to year two and coming off a 10 win season. Uh, to summarize it, because, you know, Brian Kelly can be a little long winded at times. To summarize it, he basically said the difference was last year at this time, we didn't know who our five offensive linemen were. Uh, we didn't know who our quarterback was, even though obviously probably knew Jane Daniels was going to be the guy. Um, new coordinators, knew everything. But now year two, there's so much returning, so much returning talent, so much re returning continuity. Um, I think that's where we start with this is that it just felt like he took a lot of questions about the differences in year one to year two now. Yeah. Um, well, first off, my favorite thing about media days is LSU goes first, because if you're yeah. stretching this across four days, I don't want to be the person who has to cover the team on like day three. That's the middle coach that goes. Yeah. That's Then I've got to track down what time it's on. You know, I'm not going to watch every coach and player the entire time. I'll just go back and watch some YouTube highlights or coaches I want to hear an interview from. So big shout out to the SEC for LSU getting to go first each time. I don't know how they worked that out. How, how, why is it LSU first? Do you know? I don't know how they did their order, but the, it, LSU's been going first since the last Miles days. So yeah. I don't know. They've just stuck with that order, I guess. But LSU's always going first, so I appreciate that. Yes. I thought, as for what Brian Kelly actually talked about, I thought that the most important thing he talked about, which I wrote a, a breakdown on kind of things he said and uh, and what I thought about him, I had this first. And I think it's the biggest talking point of the offseason because for me, Matty B, it's not just Brian Kelly. It bleeds down to everybody. This time a year ago and really in the months from when they took the – Brian Kelly took the job, so let's say December, January, until now, immediate days a year ago and getting ready for year one, it was all about building that foundation, right, is what he talks about. It was setting new standards, letting kind of the guys know how he wanted to run a program, who he was as a coach. But just then the simple reality of how tough it is as a player to be in a system where you have a new position coach, you have a new coordinator, you have a new head coach. If you're transferring in, you don't know any of the guys on the team. That was the case for Jaden Daniels, who ends up being your starter. If you're the head coach, you don't know these coordinators. You've worked with Denbrock before, but not in this setting. You've not had Matt House as a DC. You haven't had a lot of these position coaches, almost all of them, as position coaches before you and before for you, I should say. Yeah. And it's just there's so many unknowns that even before you get to the football side of it that you have to figure out in year one. In year two, and I heard Jaden Daniels talk about this down at the Manning camp whenever I was down there and talking to him about what's different now. He said the same thing as Kelly, which is why I thought it was important, is that they aren't thinking of any of that anymore. Like, they know what they have on the roster. They know He knows who the receivers are. He knows who the O-line is. He knows what kind of blocking he gets. He knows the timing 
of different plays that Denbrock likes and how Sloan wants him to work. And for Kelly, it's top to bottom. He knows what he's put together now. He knows how the personnel department works. He knows how the recruiting weekends go. He knows how prep for a game week goes. He knows how an SEC schedule is. Sorry about that. Uh, knows how to schedule all the things that be a year ago. They had no clue of, and they still managed to win the West and get to double digit wins. So now it's focused on so many more like small nuances of how to improve a player's game, how to fine tune our conditioning, whatever it might be, but it's not this wholesale let's figure it out thing. And for me that, and Vegas as well, I think they've got like the six best odds right now to fifth or sixth best odds to win the national championship. Um, they didn't carry those odds a year ago. They were project- projected to be like a six and a half, seven win team. They are set up so much better this year to win the West and compete for the playoffs than they were a year ago. And I know they won the West a year ago, but they weren't set up for that. Now they are set up to where you're in a better position. Is it the most desirable position that you want yet? No, you're not there yet, but it's better than they were this time a year ago, which lends me to believe they're going to be better than they were a year ago when they won a lot of tight games, even though they did win a lot of games. Yeah. The interesting thing, I mean, I just keep going back to guys like Mason Taylor, Will Campbell, Emory Jones, those freshmen, obviously, then Jaden Daniels. Last year, looking back on it, I understand why Vegas had it at like six and a half wins. I took the over and, you know, shout out to Brian Kelly and the guys for cashing that. But I was just like, there is so much unknown going into the year, but at the end of the day, LSU's expectations are so high. And so that's another thing is going year two. I've stated this on this podcast. I've stated this in, you know, writing time after time. It's like the expectations are no longer. All right. win nine games, you know, win 10 games. And Brian Kelly's talked about that. Winning the West isn't good enough anymore at LSU. That was year one. Now it's year two. And he's kind of a victim of his own success because 10 wins, you know, now it's, the expectation is 11 wins, you know, 12 wins even. And obviously you wrote this as well. And your story was Kim Mulkey and Jay Johnson winning their own titles has raised expectations. So you have all, you have a culmination of all of these things working together of you winning 10 games, the baseball team, women's basketball, winning a title in year two, you're obviously returning a ton of offensive production. You have stars on the defense side of the ball. You're adding Mason Smith back, which we'll get to in a bit. All of this just coming together sets the expectation of, all right, from here on out, you are competing to win a national title. You know, you might not win it, but first, second, third, you have to be in the top three, top four. That's the expectation moving forward. And that's just such an interesting dynamic to me where we have gotten to the place as LSU year two, you're in it. Yeah. And I don't know if this will be the, here's how I will measure it. And that I think is a fair way to measure it, which is the Kim Mulkey way. When she got here in year one and people said, what are the expectations? She said, what did they win last year? Eight games, nine games. Then the goal is to win 10 games. Like improvement is what you're looking for in terms of actual results. And you're improving everything behind the scenes, how you practice, who you're recruiting, the roster makeup, all these things that every sport uh, deals with. You do all that. But in terms of actual production, how you finish, what bowl you go to, all that, I'm looking for improvement. So in year one, the improvement would have been win seven games, have a winning regular season because they had back-to-back 500 seasons. Well, they go out and they do do that. They win nine games and they get to double-digit wins in the bowl season. But now that I say, okay, you turn the page, is it national championship or bust? No, I want to see you improve on that, which means 
get to 10 wins in the regular season or, you know, get to 10 wins and make a better bowl. And there is a realistic shot for that to happen without it meaning you even got into the playoffs. Had they beaten Texas A&M last year, they would have made a New Year's Six Bowl. That's the goal. Yeah. Like, that should be the floor this year. You don't want to go back to the Citrus Bowl when you've got Jaden Daniels and all this type of talent returning. You're set up to where you should be competing for the playoffs or a New Year's Six Bowl. So for yeah. me, the floor would be New Year's Six. An interesting quote kind of bridging off that into our second kind of topic is his quote on closing the gap with Georgia. And I don't think I have that in front of me per se. Uh, I, do, in- I do if you want me to, to read ahead. it. Yeah. Um, or at least I can pull it up. So he was how- talking about someone asked, Georgia's won back-to-back national championships. You played them in the SEC championship. That game was 50 to 30. Um, but Georgia never really was uncomfortable in it. And they asked, how far are you away from Georgia? And uh, his quote, scroll down here and give it to you, is. I'm trying to remember how long of a quote it was. I think it was a decently long quote. Yeah, I'm. Uh, here we go. Brian Kelly. I had to, I had to bring up my story. I wrote about this, and this was one of the things that I, that I circled. He said that. Um, it's a it's a measurement for everyone in here, meaning the media who was asking about it, to see it on the field. That's how everyone measures a gap closing. What's the score of the game? What does the eye test tell me? What's the competitiveness of the game? And we would only have that opportunity if we get into the SEC championship and get to play Georgia, which is completely true. That is exactly if you're talking about measuring the gap, you would only be able to tell the gap if you played each other and they're not on the regular season schedule. So you need to play them in the playoffs or in the SEC championship. Uh, but he went on, he said, based on how we've recruited and will continue to recruit, we will have a football roster that will be able to compete against Georgia. Is that right now? No, it's not. But if we continue doing what we're doing, we'll have a roster that can compete with Georgia. Then it's about getting it done on the playing field and everyone can assess if we have closed the gap from there. So I think some people said, oh, LSU fans are going to freak out when he said, are we there? No. But that's the reality of the current situation, which I appreciate from the start with Brian Kelly. Of It's been, look, I took over a roster with less than fewer than 40 guys on scholarship. Like this is a multi-year rebuild. Hey, I'm having to be heavier in the portal than we like to be. That's what is part of a multi-year rebuild. And now he's saying, are we with Georgia yet? No, because we are still in a rebuild. That's the facts. Now, I'll let you take this if you want from the football side. I'll say recruiting wise at the high school level, which I think is very important. Georgia's recruiting at a different level than LSU right now. That's just the facts. Now, you can also have a very good recruiting class without winning back-to-back national championships. LSU can get it. Here's my recipe, usually. If LSU has a top five-ish class, they've locked down Louisiana for the most part, if not completely, um, which is tough to do. And then they go and get those out-of-state names the big ones, whether it was Deshaun Womack this past cycle and DJ Chester. And, you know, you get four or five guys that you think, man, these are big impact players for us. The more, you know, Mason Taylors and Jaden Daniels and Harold Perkins and all those guys that are on your team, the better, right? And they've done a good job with that from the class they just signed when they finished top five and landed a number of out-of-state guys, but also locked up Louisiana after that transition year when Kelly first got here and a lot of guys left the state. So, do they have to have the number one? Do they have to beat Georgia and get the number one class to beat them? No. And you still have to play the games. I just do feel that this roster can be set up very well if you do those things. 
lock down Louisiana, land some elite out-of-state talent. That gives you a top five-ish class. Then it's on Brian Kelly and his staff to develop them and game plan and win the games. I, I, I mentioned the success of women's basketball and baseball earlier, but it really feels like the women last year with women's basketball, comparing them to South Carolina, right? Like that's what it felt like. Whereas like South Carolina is, has stacked recruiting classes on one on top of the other. They have depth, they have size, they have all this stuff. Same thing with Georgia, right? They got the size up front. They have the NFL players on defense. They've stacked recruiting classes. It's going to take time. That's what Kimulki said. That's what Brian Kelly has said. Um, obviously, in basketball, you know, one game can change things, and that's what happened with the women's basketball side. Because if LSU played South Carolina in the title, it, you know, I wouldn't have picked LSU to win that game. But they got Iowa, things change. Football, it's a little bit different. Georgia's path, you know, their schedule is not super difficult this year. They're going to be probably 12-0, and and they're going to be in the championship game. So, again, the only way you measure that gap is if you play them in the SEC championship game. And I think last year, LSU actually fared, even though they lost by 20, I think they actually showed that they can be competitive in certain situations with them. If you take away the absolute mess of a special team's play, that really set them behind. I mean, I thought they actually showed some flashes there. And so you have transfer portal additions that help you close the gap. But at the end of the day, you have to recruit at a top five level to be competitive with Georgia in the long term. And I think that's yeah, what right. Brian Kelly's trying to say. It, yes, correct. In the long term, which is the goal here. And if you're competitive with a team like Georgia, you're competitive with anybody. Or if you're competitive with Alabama, you're competitive with anybody. That's the 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 marker got to beat, as you said in football, in the SEC, to get to the playoffs and all that, you're going through Bama every year. You're likely going to have to play Georgia in the SEC championship. So they are good marking points. And look, we saw a year ago, Bama had the number one pick on their team. Hell, they had a number of first-rounders. One, on their one team. and three, and yeah. LSU just played very well and beat them in a game that was, you know, both defenses were locked down at points. The punting turned into a big flip-the-field storyline. And – it was one play at a time, and they got it done. Now, I'll say this. Brian Kelly repeated, and so I do believe the team believes this, too, about the gap closing with Georgia and what they have to do. Go back and think about when they uh, lost that game, 50-30 to 30 in the SEC championship. <clears throat> LSU had put out on gold, I think it was, but they also tweeted it out, the post-game locker room speech from Brian Kelly. And he said, look, guys, you played, played your ass off. A great year, great game. But you're not there yet, and you saw it today. And if you want to be SEC champions, you know what it takes to get to this game now. Now that you've lost it, you know what it takes to have to win the game. And those experiences, I think, help them in a big way. I think that it's a motivating factor for all those guys who say, all right, I do know now what it takes to get to an SEC championship, and then I know what we'll be up against in the SEC mm -hmm. championship if a team like Georgia is on the other side. So I think the team sees it. Brian Kelly sees it. To me, it wasn't some like bold take or like hot mic moment for him. I think he was just being very honest. They are not there yet, but they are on the path to getting there. Yeah, I love honest coaches. Him and Kim Mulkey are very uh, the same. Jay Johnson is also extremely honest. Jay Johnson might be the most honest of all of them. He, I feel like baseball coaches are like that. Jay Johnson. I think you just play so many games that you're just like. After games, you just shoot it straight. You're like, this yeah. dude was 0 for 4, and this guy got hit and beat yeah. up and run out of the game. I remember year one last year, obviously, Jay Johnson, his team was 
they didn't have the pitching and he was just he hammered that home time after time be like we got to get guys we got to get guys it's the same situation every sport it takes time you got to get guys all right um speaking of guys brian kelly also talked about the value of getting mason smith back and i think that was one of the more it wasn't you know an eye-opening quote but i think it was it's always good to hear him talk about mason smith because we haven't seen mason smith in over you know in two years at this point um and basically to summarize what he said it's basically of who are you going to double team and he's going to attract so many double teams that he mentioned harold perkins coming off the edge which i thought was another interesting part of his quote um and then he said we have guys off the edge that we believe that can rush the passer in one-on-one situations you have mason smith up front he also said last year he they didn't have guys that won those one-on-ones on a on a you know every down basis mason smith will win those one-on-ones every single time no matter who he's who he's up against so jaquel and roy mikhail wingo those guys are really good there's a difference between those guys and mason smith and so that's was a really interesting quote to me because it speaks to how good Mason Smith can be and how good we expect him to be this year and how, I mean, he kind of has been forgotten obviously because he missed last year. Yeah. Look and Mason Smith for the casual listener here, former five-star played his freshman year, uh, you know, from Louisiana played his freshman year, did very well. Brian Kelly said at media days a year ago, he said, Someone said, hey, pick a name on your team that you think has a breakout year. He said, by the end of this year, Mason Smith will be a household name. He didn't say Jaden Daniels. He didn't say Harold Perkins. Name any of those guys on that roster. He didn't say Boutte or Malik Neighbors. He said, Mason Smith will be a household name everywhere in the country when this season ends. And Brian Kelly has seen plenty of good D linemen across his 30 years of being a head coach. Mason Smith is one of the best he's ever coached. And I get out of sight, out of mind. But injuries aren't like what they used to be. Like when you're back healthy now after a knee injury, you're good to go 98% of the time. And I think everything we've heard is Mason Smith is good to go. When you see him in person, he looks like an NFL player. Like there are guys on the team, a handful that you're like, man, that guy could be on an NFL roster right now. Mason Smith is one of them. He is so disruptive. He's so smart. He understands the game so well. He's physical. He's got a pass rush moves in him, even at that size as an interior defensive lineman. Like he is so good. And again, I understand out of sight, out of mind. He got hurt, all of that. I said back in January, I was saying it during the season, we're going to go through this offseason and people are going to forget that LSU's got Mason Smith on their team. Yeah. He is such a difference maker. I was glad Brian Kelly like lined it out like he did of it's as simple as this. If you don't double Mason Smith, he's winning it. If you do double him, now we've got guys on the edge that are now in singular matchups that whether that's a D, whether that's even Makai Wingo, whether it's Savion yep. Jones, Deshaun Womack, whether that's stand-up edge guys like Perkins or Ovia Gofu, he it's clear Brian Kelly feels confident enough. He's got some guys that can win one-on-one edge matchups. And if you're not doubling them, that means you're not doubling Mason. You know, if you're not doubling them, they're gonna win it. If you are, you're not doubling Mason Smith. So I just feel like this, like how Harold Perkins takes your defense to another level because of what he can do. That's Mason Smith. It's not as sexy because he plays D line and he's just like eating blocks or, you know, mm-hmm. half the time or whatever it might be. But when he's called upon to make those plays, he can make them. I think he is going to have a monster season. I just Harold Perkins, Makai Wingo, Mason Smith, Omar Spates, potentially as four of your front six 
is an absolutely elite <laughs> uh, front six for LSU I, this year. I can't remember if I told this story or not on the podcast, but uh, I was just thinking I was going to make the joke or joke, but being dead serious that uh, I doubt Mason is celebrating any plays this year because last year on no. the first defensive series, he got hurt celebrating a big stop that was forced in Florida State to punt. But then I remembered in June at camp, Kylan Billiot, who goes to Mason Smith's high schools from Homa, uh, was get, was had an offer from LSU, worked out and was getting an offer. But that offer came after a workout at seven on seven and Terrebonne was playing and Mason Smith was out there with a bunch of his old younger buddies and watching Billiot and Billiot had a huge play for a touchdown. And Mason Smith is around the 50 yard line and he just starts at a dead sprint and like to Kylan Billiot and then jumping up and down. And Matt House is out there watching, obviously, with the coaches and coaching kids up. And his daughter was standing right there. And Matt House looked at his daughter and he said, run over there and tell Mason Smith not to run or jump or do anything again for the rest of the day. But it's I've been around Mason this summer. He's locked in. He's ready. Matt, I firmly believe this. If he has a good year, he's the highest drafted player on this team this year. The last thing I want to talk about with Brian Kelly is the transfer portal because he gave a really, really good quote on the transfer portal that I think I'll read. Um, basically, he was asked about you know losing guys, adding transfer portal players once again for a second consecutive year. Um, again, he said, again, I think when we talk about areas within your program that you're coming, um, but you're not there yet, when you have to dip into the transfer portal, and this is just my perspective, but when you have to dip into the transfer portal and bring in that many guys on defense, that's an area of concern because you don't really know what you have until you're playing against Florida State. There are a number, there are going to be a number of new players back there. We do have some recruiting players that we're excited to get back there. Brooks and Burns in particular are two veteran players. They're going to help us a lot back there. Um, Look, it was an area of concern. We're a team that needs to get off the field in third down. We did not do a very good job of that last year. That's going to have to change, and it'll start in that particular area. So that quote, and I think there was another quote where you said it, it is a red flag how many transfers they have to bring in. It kind of speaks to what we talked about earlier with closing the gap with Georgia and setting expectations. The, the transfer portal will give you quality starters. At the end of the day, though, it signifies that you don't have the depth that team like Georgia has even Alabama, even though Alabama got gutted by the transfer portal, if you go look at their, their losses, but still Alabama stacked classes on top of each other where they have still adequate depth. You look at defense, they brought in high level transfers at corner and got positions like that to where I'm not concerned about the depth per se, and that they don't have any guys back there like last year, but still, what do we say? Safety, you know, corner, we're going to have to see who can play and who can't, Linebacker, they bring in Omar Spates, which was huge boost to their their depth. But still, I think that's when looking at the transfer portal, it's like you can bring in transfers, but at the end of the day, Team like Alabama only brought in five or six transfers. I don't know how many George brought in this year, but it probably wasn't a ton. Off the well, and remember, in the year that Georgia, when they won the national championship two years ago, and then they obviously won it again this year going back-to-back, -back, in that time in between – they won the national championship, turned around, signed a recruiting class, and signed zero transfers, yeah. then won the national championship again. And off that first national championship team, they had all kind of guys drafted, especially on defense, yep. and it was just next man up. And they replenished through high school recruiting and development. Like, that's where Brian Kelly wants to be, and that's for any program. Now that you're in the transfer portal era, and maybe my opinion here will change as time goes on, 
But in the early stages, I'm with Brian Kelly. I'm with Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, these guys who firmly believe in development, in high school recruiting, because it does. It allows you to know what you have. And if you can recruit it and develop it every year, you know what you've got and you're not relying on double digit guys to play. Like think about last year, Matty B their starting quarterback was a transfer. Like their best Mason Smith gets hurt. Their best D lineman was a transfer and Makai Wingo. Like I could jump around on specifically defensive back. All of those guys were transfers. You even look now he talks about major Burns and Greg Brooks, major Burns transferred from Georgia three, two, three years ago. People forget that. I mean, yeah, he's a Baton Rouge kid, but he went to Georgia. Then he came back. I mean, Greg Brooks went to Arkansas, came home after a career there. Then you have these four corners who are all transfers this year, the Denver Harris, I Alexander, JK Johnson, Deuce Chestnut, that group. I said it in my piece, excuse me, JK Johnson, Chestnut, Denver Harris, and Zy Alexander. If the season ends and you're talking about three of those four guys as having solid seasons, or maybe two of them having excellent seasons, then you did well at corner. But you just don't know yet. Just like a year ago, we did not know what Jarrett Bernard Converse or Makai Garner or those guys were going to do. They ended up being very solid for them. But we had no idea. Like they had played at UL and Oklahoma State. They hadn't played in the SEC before. And that's what Brian Kelly talked about. He said, look, we've got a guy in Zy Alexander we love, but he's played at Southeastern against FCS competition. Like what is the jump to the SEC? He's talented enough, but does he make it? And you don't want to have to ask those questions every year. So high school recruiting, developing, and then the portal, use the portal to patch holes or take a big quarterback. I get like Joe Burrow. Georgia, so I'm looking at Georgia's this year, and it's come back to me now. They added Dominic Levette from Missouri, basically Missouri's leading receiver, and they added Rod Rod Thompson, Mississippi State's leading receiver. And where was their, where were their holes the past you know two years when they won a championship probably were receiver. They didn't have the these elites, you know, George Pickens, you know, guys at receiver – um, and what do they do? They go in the transfer portal and add two all-conference receivers. This is not going to be a loud McConkie hate pod right here. You're downplaying the Georgia receiver talent? Come on. They had, they had tight ends. They have tight ends. That's what they got. They got Brock Bowers. Not short on that. Uh, that's one thing Brian Kelly is probably envious of uh, is yes. Georgia's tight ends. But, hey, they restacked them. Uh, they're stacking them up now. The, ne- the next couple of years will be very good for LSU yes. at tight end. Yes. All right. Uh, I think that's it with Brian Kelly. Let's, uh... Uh, yes. Okay. So uh, for those who listened to last week's pod with Billy and I, we do have another sponsor. Bird Dogs are actually hooking everyone in on three up uh, right now. Maddie B's got the the Yeti tumbler. I've got mine as well. Let's see. Get it in front there. Yep. There go. The little Bird Dogs logo. Um, for those that don't know, Bird Dogs sells a number of different uh, clothing options for you. We both got hooked up with their shorts uh, and pants. I really like the shorts. Matty B, you got yours today. You want, um, you want me to go grab them? Yeah, I've got Hey, I've got an example here if we need them. Um, but stretch khakis. I think I showed them off last week on the pod too. I love the lining inside. If you're watching on YouTube, it's got the lining. Matty B, that'll be good for your tennis days if you ever want to yeah, get out there. Very much. <clears throat> I've been rocking them for yard work. Uh, cloud knit fabric. Cloud knit fabric. It stretches very well. Uh, like I said, I've been doing a lot of yard work in the past two weeks. Mm. Doesn't like I can get soaked in an hour outside of sweating. These don't, they stay dry. They just really don't hold any water. Very cool. I love them. Uh, but we've hooked up with a promo code uh, that is birddogs.com slash tigers. And that'll get you 
hooked up with it. Or when you get to the checkout, just enter the promo code TIGERS and you'll get this free Yeti style tumbler with the order. So the hookup, instead of a percentage off, get the free Yeti tumbler, make an order, but use the promo code TIGERS. Again, birddogs.com slash TIGERS or just at checkout, use the promo code TIGERS. Maddie, but you haven't rocked the pants yet. It is summertime, so it's a little tough for that. Yeah, I was going to save them. The shorts are legit. We've got a couple pair now and, uh, and yes. like them a lot. So birddogs.com, that's B-I-R-D-D-O-G-S.com. You've probably heard of them. Get on the website, check them out. Use the promo code again, uh, TIGERS. When you check out, you'll get the free Yeti style tumbler. I've been rocking that. So shout out to Bird Dogs again. They're across the on three network uh making a push with us so happy to team up with them happy to have the the free gear yeah and get on and, and check it out again promo code tigers uh all right what do we have left we got some the players, players at media days right so we yep. should probably start with the starting quarterback what uh what do you think stood out most about Jaden daniels the the first thing i want to talk about is just how many times he was asked about being more explosive um, as a quarterback, or the vertical passing game that we've talked about, that fans have talked about a lot. Um, it felt like it was coming from national writers too. It was coming from like an Auburn writer. It was coming from a bunch of people from around the SEC. Um, this is a topic of conversation with everybody because when ranking quarterbacks in the SEC, a lot of it's like, okay, do you put Jaden Daniels or do you put KJ Jefferson or Joe Milton? You know, those guys kind of have those bigger arms to a degree. And Jane Daniels last year had his lowest yards per attempt of any year of his career. I think 7.5. I expect that to jump back up to 8.5 or higher at this point. And if that happens, I think a lot of it, uh, a lot of this offense changes in a lot of ways. And so obviously he talked about the uh, receivers returning. He talked about getting the timing, right? That's something he talked about at, at length was the timing of those deep balls, because you know, it's a different deep ball to Brian Thomas and his Malik neighbors or Aaron Anderson, so on and so forth. So the timing was a big thing, but yeah, the vertical passing game, which we've talked about a lot here was harped on by reporters. And then Jane Daniels had to answer them. And I thought he gave some really good answers. All these players gave, Really, really thoughtful answer. This was a really good group of uh, players LSU rep was represented by. I think he comes – we've talked about this so often. Like, he was a, a set, basically 70% completion percentage yep. year ago. Like, that's excellent. He only turned the ball over three times, three times on picks, two or three, three times. Picks. And three picks. One was the last play of the Tennessee game when they were getting beat by 50 anyways. It didn't matter. One bounced off Jack Besh's head, like, and got oh, tipped around and picked off. Like, Lord. he just was not turning it over. But he also was very methodical in his approach of, I'm not going to turn it over. Like, I am going to take the short and intermediate stuff, and I am going to take off and run. Yeah, and when Brian there. Kelly talked, he said the same thing about that Jaden did. And, again, I talked to Jaden down at the Manning camp, and he's, when he got asked about that, he said, I, thought, I think we showed in the spring game that I'm, I'm willing to do that. I'll let some rep. We saw right out of the gates he hit Kyron Lacey on one. Kyron Lacey made a great grab, and then he takes it for a touchdown. But – they know that, hey, the next step in this is creating an explosive passing game. And with an explosive passing game, a lot of it is vertical stuff, deep stuff. And you've got the talent on roster, a number of receivers who can take the top off of a defense. It's just about pulling the trigger and going for it. I think we'll – I know we'll see more of it. And, I again, gosh, I, I'm having, like, flashbacks now, PSD or uh, yeah, PTSD. PTSD after yeah. – 
live threads and uh, chats from a year ago when everyone was like, they don't have it in the playbook. Like they had it in the playbook and we saw it at times. It was more, and I'll go back to how we started this podcast. It was more that everybody was feeling each other out. Everybody was trying to understand what the limits were, what they could do, what they couldn't do. And they don't have those questions this year. They know what kind of quarterback Jane Daniels is. Jane Daniels knows what Mike Denbrock and Joe Sloan want from him. And, certainly has a better rapport now than he did a year ago with neighbors and um, Kyron Lacey and Brian Thomas and Chris Hilton and IBS, you know, the list goes on and on of all the guys who are back now playing again at receivers. So with that, I do think that we'll see that different element of an explosive passing game, more vertical stuff. And Brian Kelly even said it, he said, look a year ago or early, what I want to see is the Jane that played against Purdue. Now Purdue was down a lot of guys. They weren't yep. very good anyways. Uh, certainly not at that stage, but Daniels and Nussmeyer, they shredded them. And Kelly said a lot in that game, Daniels would step into the pocket and then you'd make the throw. And maybe, you know, in the first month of the season, the first two months of the season, he would step into the pocket and not make that throw. He would run yeah. or whatever it might be. So I just think they want him to have that balance. What I don't want is fans to think or have any expectation that they're going to get away from running the football with Jaden. Jaden is a true dual threat quarterback. He was the number one dual threat quarterback in the country coming out of high school. He has spent four years as a dual threat quarterback. There were only, I think there was only one other uh, quarterback in the country. Um, and I think it was, uh, oh uh, gosh, uh, Plumley, uh, John, John, Rice Plumley. John, John Rice Plumley. Yeah. Yeah. What is he at UCF now? He'd been at he, Ole Miss. Yeah. He tore up LSU one time at Ole Miss. Uh, <laughs> they were playing a multi quarterback system. And he was running all over him one year, but uh, anyways, he's at UCF. They were the only guys to throw for like more than a certain amount of yards and also rush for more than 700 yards or whatever yeah. it was. Like when he's clicking, he is the best dual threat quarterback in college football. So you still want him to run it. You just want him to also be a little bit more aggressive in the passing game. And I think that he'll do that. Yeah. I think seeing Kyron Lacey make that catch on a, and, and the touchdown on a throw that wasn't great. I think that kind of speaks to what Jaden might have to do this year. It'd be like, it doesn't have to be perfect. You have Brian Thomas, Malik neighbors and Kyron Lacey, who I'm now a lot higher on Kyron Lacey after the spring game, obviously, and watching him throughout spring. But you have those three guys at the very least that they cover up mistakes. That's what great receivers do, right? They, you don't have to be perfect to get yards, whether that is a short, you know, a short throw that they take for 40 yards, whether that's a 40 yard throw that they catch, on a contested uh, play, it's like that's what receive great receivers do, and I think this is a very, very good, if not great, receiving core. And I think he's gonna let it rip a little bit. Like if he ends the year with six, seven interceptions, I am not worried about that because his touchdown total will probably be closer to thirty this year. Because I think it was at seventeen last year, he'll probably be at like twenty-seven. And I think the my wildest, I think Malik Neighbors had like two touchdowns or three touchdowns yeah, something like that. a year ago. Like that's wild for a guy who went over a thousand yards. That just and he's your best receiver. That just speaks to it wasn't explosive stuff. He was just churning it out for you. Yeah. They would get down to the red zone and it would turn into, you know, the read option, RPO type stuff, less shorter stuff, and they'd get there eventually, mostly on the ground, which is why they broke the rushing record. Um, yeah, they broke the school rushing record. Um, that helps that Jaden rushed for double digit touchdowns or whatever it was that boosts that number a good bit. But you're right, they would get themselves in the red zone and then take a new approach. But you want you don't want to have to get into the red zone every time. You'd like some explosive plays where you're scoring yes. from beyond 20 yards out. And and I think we'll see more of that. Um 
your any other thoughts? I know Jaden was asked about why he came back and talked mm-hmm. about kind of making a run at a championship, all that. He says he hasn't won a championship in college. That's his goal. I'm all on board with that. I also think he truly believes he can up his NFL stock. Like if he has a very good year, he's viewed in a completely different light than he was a year yeah. ago. Yeah, 100%. I did think it was funny. He While talking about why he came back, uh, he said Will Campbell was one of the biggest recruiters of him back. And um, he said he was relentless, Will Campbell, the recruiter. And so uh, Will Campbell got him back. But I think, like I kind of mentioned, them returning so much talent, he said, I knew we had a young offense and that we would be returning so much that we would have a chance to win it. And then he even talked about the defense. He said he liked the defensive additions that they had. So as an overall team, he's really, I think, I think he is genuinely excited about this team because last year it was the same thing with him as for all the fans. He was surprised at how well it went at times. He was surprised that they ended the year with 10 wins after losing that first game to Florida State. Imagine how he was feeling after that Florida State game where it was like, I'm throwing it to Kayshawn and Kayshawn's head isn't even turned. I'm, the, the offensive line is crumbling around me and I'm running for my life. Like after that game, I couldn't imagine him thinking, you know what, you know, next year we're going to go win a title. It was probably an evolution. And I think that he is genuinely excited to uh, compete for a championship. And like you said, up his stock as well. Yeah. I uh, I'm closing out on Jane and we'll touch on Josh Williams and, and Makai here quickly, but I was, and you said it already, great job by all the players. I thought there was no bulletin board, nothing that came out of it that, you know, again, it's a media day. You don't, the goal is get in and get out. Don't say anything that's rallying people up, that puts a target on your back, whatever it might be. And Jaden was great. I mean, I watched probably all the interviews he did. If you get on the Bengal Tiger, we've got videos of him, uh, of his different media sessions. But whether it was people asking, you know, Hey, people think you're the best quarterback in the SEC this year, are you? It was, hey, look, there are a lot of good quarterbacks. There's a lot of good quarterbacks that are about to be starting for the first time at a school. You know, I've been in that position. I had a big year. I think that it's too early to know. I'm excited about, you know, me, what we're doing. But I've got a lot of respect for K.J. Jefferson. And, you know, and he kind of went down the list of different guys. And when they said, well, what about Florida State? You know, how bad do you want to beat him after our last year ended? It was, yeah, look, that game's got a little extra to it because it's the opener how it ended. We could have tied the game with no time left if we had made that extra point, but we drove down and scored. And then he very quickly switched it to me and Jay, you know, uh, me and um, Jordan Travis are buddies. I've got big respect for his game. We love to compete. We're one and one now overall, he said, and competing against each other. So this will be the tiebreaker and said, look, Florida state cleaned up in the portal. We did too. They've got a lot of guys coming back. We do too. And made it very much, hey, it's going to be a great game. And it was no, we're going to get him back, I promise you. I'll guarantee you a win. I'm Nothing. So yeah. kudos to the guys for going up there and getting back home. That's the goal. Go up there, don't say anything crazy, come back. Exactly. Um, Josh Williams and Makai Wingo, like you said, we'll talk, talk about them real briefly. I think Josh Williams gave actually a couple interesting quotes. And I'm not talking about the one that people pulled and said, uh, he <laughs> said, that I don't think even, they- uh, yeah, okay, so what he, people pull, and even on three, but he did say it. He said, I don't know if Texas know you joining in 2025 or four, and, you know, what are your thoughts? He said, I don't, I don't, they may not know, you know, I don't think they know what they're in for or they're up against here. Yeah. That's like the truest statement ever. Until you get into the SEC, you don't know what it's like. Like Brian Kelly talked about that himself. Like, yeah, half of media day was, 
I didn't know what I was up against until I joined and went through a whole season. Now I can know this is man every week. Like he said, you go to Auburn, Auburn doesn't even have a winning record and it's sold out at 11 AM or two 30. And yep. they're giving you hell. You can go to A&M at the end of the year. They can't beat anybody, but they've got talent and they know, Hey, look, it's let's ruin LSU season. They yep. go out there and put it on them. So you know now what's expected. So the fact that people made a big deal out of that from Josh Williams, who's like the most PR non soundbite person ever. And is always just very publicly, you know, commends yeah. everybody and praises everybody that, that didn't even get onto my radar. Well, uh, but, yeah. So not that, what do you pick if it's not his Texas? No, you don't know what they're in for because they don't. Yeah, we had to find yet. something. We had to find something to hold on to here. It was way too much uh, per- pristine talk. Like Mikhail Wingo, I have nothing to pull from him, really. We'll, we'll talk more about one thing, but I had nothing much to pull from him. Josh Williams, I think, was interesting because he was asked a few times about the running back room. And I um, I think uh, I'm one, one question specifically was about how do you, as running backs, not worry about carries when there's eight of you in the room like there's just a ton of you how do you kind of divvy up reps and practice games all this stuff and his answer was again perfect it was that's up to brian kelly we just go in we do our jobs we practice we are worried about winning football games as a unit which i think is fair because it is a very experienced group when you look at it on paper um you know you go on a list obviously john emory um, Josh Williams, Logan Diggs is going into his third year, two years of playing uh, substantial time. Armani Goodwin is now in his third year. Um, and they add Trey Bradford back. So it's like there's a lot of experience here, and I don't think guys like Trey Bradford or John Emery come back if they're not bought in to what this running back room is right now. And so then you have the freshmen obviously buying into what their roles are, so on and so forth. But I think that was one of the more interesting things, interesting topics from Josh Williams was – you know, Brian Kelly will come up to us and say, hey, this is your time. You know, go do your job for these three or four reps here, and then, you know, you'll rotate out. So I feel like the fans have come around in a lot of ways on this running back room. Um, it doesn't have a top, top-end guy, per se, even though I'm very high on Logan Diggs. I know we're all high on Logan Diggs. Um, at the very least, Josh Williams, man, I when, when SEC Network had LSU Day and they showed the LSU-Alabama game, and Josh Williams made that third down run in the fourth quarter. I'm like, that's a pretty damn good option right there. It's like college in a way is going in the same direction as the NFL. Like unless you've got Derrick Henry or Jonathan Taylor or someone like that, like you're going to split reps. There's going to be a number of guys who get reps, especially at the college level. And Frank Wilson as your running backs coach is the guy who's going to really guide them and how those reps go. It's, it's like the opposite of where, where a year ago with the Kelly uh, kind of regime coming in and new players come in. We didn't know what LSU had. Frank's been here multiple times running the running back room with some great running backs and what, like Fournette with like some deep running back rooms where they were legit splitting them between like four guys. And I know exactly what I'm going to get from Frank. Ball security, if you put the ball in the ground, you're just not going to play anymore. And we saw that with John Emery. Like, he'd go in and play. The second he fumbled it, they weren't playing him anymore. Like, you're out. Someone else is in this game. We're riding it. Ball security, number one. And then if you know your blocking assignments, if you know know, when you carry it, would hold a hit, that's elementary. 
know all your blocking assignments as well, or you're not playing. If you do those things and you're showing us that you can get yardage, you can hold on the football, we'll give you, we'll, we'll play you. And Noah Kane, I don't think anyone have predicted last year that Noah Kane would what lead the team in rushing touchdowns, that he would be their red zone guy. He was trustworthy and he understood what he had to do. He could block. And Brian Kelly talked about it. Adding Logan Diggs gives you a three down back. And he said, it's like a Josh Williams, someone who we know every time he's in there, he knows every play, he knows where to be. He's not going to blow an assignment and he's not going to fumble the football. So this is one of the more intriguing running back rooms for me of Frank Wilson's time at LSU, which spans well over a decade at this point, because there are so many options. Like there's like seven or eight of them and all of them are talented, but all of them have some sort of question mark where you're like, I beyond maybe Josh Williams, who is coming off of an injury, I guess you could say a season ending injury is kind of a question mark. Everyone's got a little something to him. We're like, but, or can he do this? And we won't know those answers until the season. I just think it's fascinating because I'm with you. I do not think someone is running away with all the carries. I think a lot of guys are about to play in that running back room. I'm probably going to bet on Jaden Daniels leading the team in rushing this year. Oh, well, I'm just, yeah, I would agree with that. I'm just counting. No, 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 I know. I know you meant running backs. I was just saying in the big picture, I have, I was going to, and I have somewhere in the planner that I was going to do a, uh, predicting the stat leaders for LSU, I'm probably just going to put Jaden Daniels for the rushing one because he's probably going to be at you know six or seven hundred yards, and you'll probably have same thing as last year where you have four guys at four hundred yards at running back. So that's probably how that'll go. Um, the second quote that I thought was really interesting that I put in my story, let me see if I can find it, um, was the change in summer training. And I, Brian Kelly talked about this a little bit too in, in his yeah, time. Yeah, he did. Um, so we can put those two together, but. Josh Williams said that they've done a lot more speed work uh, with running and so on and so forth. And that Jake Flint is now able to put his full strength and conditioning program in this summer, because last year it was so much of a, I don't want to say it was pieced together, but it was very much a get the basics put in and now you can expand them. And that goes to what Brian Kelly said is that now you can be more individualistic. Now you can tailor things to corners, to running backs, to defensive linemen, so on and so forth. So I think that was a really, really interesting quote because last year I thought this team was in really good shape. Last year they held up really well. I mean, the defensive line had to play an immense amount of snaps because they did have no depth. So that was the only unit that I think wore down at the end of the year. But other than that, and the defense, you know, kind of wore down, but still they were in great shape. Second halves, they continuously won. Mississippi State, you know, go down the list. And now they are could get faster, could get be in better shape. And Brian Kelly talked about having to manage with the heat in Louisiana. So probably I think he said only one of the days is straight outdoors. The rest of them are, you know, I guess either combo or just indoors. But I thought those were some really good quotes from Josh Williams and uh, Brian Kelly. Now I'm with you. Last year, what stood out a lot was that they did not have much depth. And and you mentioned it. Like, for instance, the D-line, Mason Smith goes down at the first game. You don't have a lot of depth. Makai Wingo played the most snaps of any D-lineman in the country. And Jaquel and Roy, I think, played the sixth or seventh most snaps of anybody in the country. So that just goes to show you, yes, when you got to the A&M game and HN is running all over the place, you're going to get worn down. You're in game 12 now. You aren't rotating on the D-line because you don't have the depth. They've got all those things figured out now. What I was impressed by was with what you said. The fact that the whole team, including the D-line, 
was able to look that fresh even deep into November, which is when you're really competing for a championship and a chance to win the West and a chance to go to the playoffs. Like that's when you really got to be fresh. I thought they were there last year. So if you're telling me now that you're taking that to another level and you've got more depth, I become a lot more confident in you being a team that in late October into November that looks fine and looks fresh and still goes out there and doesn't look like you've just been decimated by whether it's injuries or just sluggish play or whatever it might be that you're still rolling. And whether it was Kelly or a guy like Josh Williams, a leader on the team who's been around for a long time and seen a lot of different LSU teams to say, we've already got that under control. We're taking it to another level now that gives me confidence because that was one of my biggest storylines last year as the season played out into the latter part of the year was man for not having many players on the roster. Like they are very well conditioned. They're getting into the fourth quarter of games and keeping the same speed. They don't look sluggish yep. at all. Uh, and that's a testament to what you do in the off season and strength conditioning and the, the program that Jake Flint's got set up. Last thing, the only quote from Mikhail Wingo that I found to be, you know, kind of, intriguing and like we said he gave great answers great answers this is if you're a brian kelly if you're anybody on the staff you're like this is exactly what we want this transcript show it to everybody in the coming years this is what we want um for me the only thing that i could really pull was he named a couple standouts uh on the defense as far as transfers go and he named jordan jefferson paris shand omar spates we already know about omar spates um paris shand i think had a really good spring so i i, I appreciate him shouting him out uh, Jordan Jefferson did not play in the spring. So for him to get that kind of shout out from Mikhail Wingo, I think is substantial. And in my opinion, you know, based off of only his film at West Virginia, I think Jordan Jefferson's the third best defensive tackle on the team. Um, whether that happens or not, we don't know because we didn't see him in spring, but Paris Shand, I was low on Billy was high on. It looks like Billy's going to be right. Paris Shand has gotten a lot of snaps and gotten a lot of reps and, uh, in the spring and as a defensive tackle, a guy who could very well contribute. So so that's – we just got done talking about the lack of defensive line depth last year. This year we go Mason Smith, Makai Wingo. Who's behind them? Jordan Jefferson, Parrish Shand, Jacoby and Guillory. Go down the list of guys. We haven't even talked about – you know, if we go all the way down, like Fitzgerald West I think can contribute this year as well in the defensive line. Jalen Lee coming in from Florida, a guy who Lee. got snaps at Florida. Yeah, exactly. So – a lot more trust in the defensive line. I was happy to hear him talk about those guys. And I remember talking to Jamar Kane, and now he's gone. He's with the Broncos now, so it's not like I'm sharing any inside trader secrets here. But he said when Jaquel and Roy went to the draft and you know the team was coming back and going through things, he said Jacoby and Gillery will have a really big year because Roy's not here anymore. Because Roy was eating up all those snaps. Like that when knows. you go into a game yeah. and you know like I'm not going to play that much, like – the motivating factor isn't the same of where it is now of you can compete and be the top nose tackle. You can compete yep. and get a lot of reps, even with all these guys coming in the chance that Guillory knows on the back end of his career, they took some transfers at his position where now he's got to battle it out. Like I think he's a guy that could have a big season for him. So just the simple fact that we can sit here and debate more than two guys, which is where they were at last year when Mason Smith got hurt is a luxury. I mean, that's, that's where you want to be. You want to be able to rotate guys on the D line, get away from where you were a year ago when you were just playing two of them. And look, to take it back to where you started with Makai Wingo, the return of Mason Smith, what does that do to him? He was the one that was getting doubled last yeah. year and he was just a sophomore. He had been an all, you know, freshman, all sec player. 
But even LSU said when they signed him versus what they got, they're like, man, he was a lot better than we actually envisioned he was. So, yeah. and now him in year three with Mason Smith there and him, Mason Smith taking up a lot of the attention, you'd have to think Wingo can then have an even bigger year. So I, I love the D-line. That's one spot that I feel very good about. Yeah, to, to kind of speak, uh, last thing I'll say is uh, to speak to Jamar Kane's point of Jacoby and Guillory stepping up that nose tackle spot, which isn't something they do every single down, but specific downs, you'll need a nose. Jacoby and Guillory is probably the first guy that they'll sub in there to, to put as a zero technique over the ball type guy. And so you have Guillory. I think Jalen Lee was also used in that way at Florida. Um, we'll see if Fitzgerald West can kind of fit that mold. Those are the kind of, guys that I would expect at that nose tackle spot. And then Wingo Smith can obviously play wherever, but that that's going to be an interesting um, point as well. I'm high on Jefferson though. I, I agree. Yeah. I think that when he was healthy at West Virginia, he was making a lot of plays and he's a big, big kid. So again, this is, it's exciting. A lot LSU fans are going to have to get to know a lot of new names because there is a lot of names on defense, certainly more than anywhere is what Brian Kelly talked about Yep. to where they are new players, they're transfers and, You'll have to see at Florida State what they've got and kind of across that first month of the season. But they are excited about the actual talent levels they brought in. Does that turn to production and results? We have to wait and see. But they did bring in a number of guys who can fit into roles that really improve the football team. Yeah. Last thing, as far as news goes, uh, John Emery uh, is expected to be um cleared for the fall uh if everything continues on the path they expect him to be back i think they expect is the big word here so we'll see everything gets uh finalized but yeah we talk about john emory and obviously didn't participate in the spring so we'll we'll see him during the fall hopefully uh, okay we're getting out of here before we get out sign us off uh with one quick prediction we don't even have to break it down um late we're recording this on tuesday morning that's when we'll drop it uh tuesday about lunch i guess you can start yeah. to hear this but Thursday when SC Media Days ends is when they will announce, um, you know, the media's vote for preseason All-SEC. But I'm more concerned about projected order of finish. Do you think Bama or LSU gets the votes to projected to win the West? And that's really all the debate's down to. No one's going to vote for yeah, no. Ole Miss or State there and AM and Auburn had a losing record. So nope. this is a, a two team battle. And this is only, I'm trying to remember, the media votes for this that's there, right? That, like, Correct. That's the on-hand media um i if i had to guess i would guess alabama would would get the first spot simply because if people did their research i don't know if they did but if they did their research and they didn't just rank it off feel lsu does play at alabama this year so that is the tough part i think a lot of people if they look at that they'll weigh that a lot so that's the challenge lsu has this year is you play at alabama last year you hosted Alabama, so you win the West because you win that game. This year you have to go there, and then you're going to be a touchdown underdog, at least going into the season. We'll see what Alabama is. On paper, I think LSU has – I would put LSU as my number one in the West. But, you know, you look at it, the game at being at Alabama makes it challenging for me. So I think people will put Alabama first, if I had to guess. I agree with you, and I agree with everything you said. I think what I think the thing right now, which is fair – that people are uncertain about Bama is Bryce Young, the number one quarterback's gone. Yeah. They had been on a run of Tua and Bryce Young and Mac Jones. All these guys ended up being first rounders. We don't even know who their starter is. Like, is it Jalen Milrow? Is it Ty Simpson? Is it Tyler Buckner who transferred in from Notre Dame? I would doubt it, but the OC is Tommy Reese. He's familiar yeah. with his system. So 
there's a trio of guys, none of which beyond, I guess, Milrow came in when Bryce Young got hurt and played in some games. But yeah, Arkansas. Yeah, Tennessee, I think he played in that game. Um, but point being, they don't have a returning starter. I think that's the thing is not only do they not have a returning starter, you don't even know who it is. And that's going to keep people hesitant to say, oh, Bama's going to win the West and they're going to get back to the playoffs or whatever it might be. But I, I do think I, Bama will get the votes. I think, again, me, I would put LSU one. I think LSU, I mean, the quarterback disparity between those two teams right now is significant. And I think for that reason, the floor for Alabama might not be as high as it's been in past years. They might drop, if Jalen Milrow is your quarterback, you might drop a game at, I don't have their schedule for me, but they might drop a game at Arkansas, you know, something like that to where when you have Tua Tagovailoa and you have, I mean, you go down the list of quarterbacks that they've had the past six, seven years, you're not losing those games. You know what I mean? I think J- I think Jaden Daniels, the returning LSU talent, I would have LSU number one on my ballot. I just think that there's enough trust in Nick Saban right now. And then also playing LSU at home, um, I think that will swing enough people this year. But we'll see. It'll be as long as- Either way, LSU will finish one or two in the yeah, media's vote. There's no doubt about that, which is – much higher than they did a year ago. So yeah. progress being made. The um and then the all conference teams will come out the same day. I assume LSU should have. I think LSU should have five. I'm gonna say they at least have four. Will Jaden Daniels be the quarterback? Is the question. I think so. He's the he's widely considered the top returning quarterback in the conference. Like no one at this point is voting a Joe Milton over him. Even KJ Jefferson. KJ, I don't think. KJ will get some votes. I, I would have Jaden, but I think K- KJ's coming off back to back. Like, you I don't disagree. KJ's very fortunate they didn't have to play him in that game, and they yes. just chased around Malik Hornsby. Um, <laughs> that was a fun game. But yeah, uh, so I, I think that'll be an interesting vote. But yeah, Perkins, yeah. Campbell, Smith, um, and Malik neighbors are the four should and, be locked, and then Jaden, and then I think Jaden should be on there. And I think on on three put out our preseason. All yeah, SEC, and those were the five in the SEC yeah. for LSU. So LSU and that fans was more won. than Bama had. I think Bama had four. So yeah. on paper, maybe yes, LSU does have yeah, some better maybe. top talent. Hey, this is a good debate to have. I don't think LSU roster wise is where Bama's at because I think they've. I know they've patched up a lot of these holes through the portal, which isn't like a long term solution. But for year to year basis, it puts you on a level playing field at least to be able to compete. And they got a the number one recruiting class coming in with some absolute dudes on there, uh, which we don't need to talk about. This is an Alabama podcast, but regardless, um, that'll do it for the podcast today. Uh, again, bird dogs. Um, there's the Yeti right there. Shay's got the pants, the shorts right next to him. Yep. Promo um, code tigers or birddogs.com slash tigers. Yeah. Order up some gear, work. get the free uh, kind of Yeti style tumbler, and uh, and yeah, let us know if uh, if you end up getting it, how it fits and how it looks. I uh, I'm enjoying my shorts so far. Yes, yes. All right, that's all we have for y'all today. Hope y'all enjoyed the episode. Leave us a like, comment, share, subscribe. Check out all of the content at the Bengal Tiger uh, for on three. Um, a lot of stuff coming out. I got two more media day stories coming out. Then I'm gonna do a little another series preview in the season before. We get into fall camp, which will start, I believe, August 3rd. And then we're right back into football season, Shay. A lot of people use this as the kickoff for the season. So happy SEC Media Days to all who celebrate it. And, yeah, we'll be back. I think Shay and Billy will be back with the recruiting pod uh, in a day or two. So we'll talk to you then.